Well, it is getting darker. It is, mean, it is remaining darker later and colder earlier, which is, uh, makes it a little bit more difficult to get up in the morning. Thank you, men, for doing so. Thank you for being here. Let's, uh, let's start with prayer. There is coffee. There should be more coffee out there, and we'll keep it, keep it flowing for you guys. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning that we can be together. And once again, we thank you for your word. We could never express enough gratitude for uh, what you have given us in our Bibles, even echoing the psalmist's sentiment that your word is more valuable than all the riches in the world. And nothing, nothing in this world could have a greater bearing on our on our lives and our spiritual well-being than how you have chosen to use your word through your spirit in the lives of your people. And so, Lord, we come with gratitude in our hearts and neediness of souls to be fed by you. Lord, I pray that we indeed would long for, that we would crave, that we would have an insatiable desire for your truth, uh, knowing what we have tasted in it and that you are good. And so, Father, we just pray that you would guide us this morning in a manner that is pleasing to you, uh, that we would be uh, equipped all the more to be useful men for your service and your church. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Well, this morning we're going to jump right into our lesson. We've got quite a bit to cover, and I would love to leave some time, uh, make sure we have more time than less time at the end for discussion because there are some uh, unfailing, unyielding, unbending truths that we must know and hold to. And then for each man individually, uh, there needs to be some wisdom and discernment in how to navigate those in your life uh, in obedience to Christ in regards to these principles. And so this morning, we're going to talk about serving in the church and the body. And this falls under Discipline 3, the ministry. And as we've been working through EQ, it's hard to believe that we're almost done with the first semester already. Doesn't it seem wild that we're already here? That blows my mind. We have this week, and then two weeks from now will be our last session for the semester. We'll take a little break and pick back up in January. But as we've talked about the various disciplines, the heart and the home and the ministry and, and how they relate to one another, this, this morning we're going to be talking about Discipline 3, which is the ministry, and particularly what that means for uh, engagement and serving in the body of Christ. And so we know that within the Christian life, everything needs to start in us addressing our own heart, us shepherding our own heart. We never graduate from the gospel. We never graduate from this discipline. This isn't something that immature believers need to be really intentional with guiding their heart, keeping their heart, as Proverbs 4.23 says. But as you get seasoned, you can kind of let your foot off the gas some and coast spiritually because you've obtained some sort of spiritual maturity. It's actually the opposite. The more you mature you grow in Christ, the more you're going to recognize your utter dependence upon and need for Christ. And as you deepen your love for Christ, you're going to want to spend time with him intentionally. You're going to want to think his thoughts and so not only having that manifested through intentional devotion time with the Lord where you're meeting with him personally, but having that bear fruit in all of your life that, 
as you're navigating life at the grocery store and the cashier gives you too much change, you're aware of God's presence in that moment and you are shepherding your heart with integrity to do the right thing, to, to give the extra money back, to um, navigate those circumstances where, where your integrity is put to the test because you acknowledge God's presence in the moment in all things. When you come home from work and your kids are making a lot of noise and things may feel dis, disorganized in that moment and you're tempted to be impatient or to be angry or to want to disengage and separate, separate. Uh, as you mature in Christ, there will be a heart shepherding tendency in you to go, okay, I know what I feel right now and I need to repent and I'm going to step in and I'm going to serve humbly and sacrificially. And so recognizing that heart shepherding pervades all of life. It's not just a 30 minute segment, although that's necessary and important to spend whatever time that is, intentional time in prayer and in God's word, it should, it should pervade into all of our lives. And as that happens, it's going to pour out in our homes. And there's this principle that those with whom we are closest to, we need to be intentional with. In our immediate sphere, we need to be faithful. We need to be faithful with our hearts. We need to be faithful in our home and let that expand out from there. And as we do that faithfully, well, then we need to serve and care for others as well and be intentional there. And that's what we're going to talk about. Several weeks ago, we talked about ecclesiology, right? The, the theology of the church. What has God said from scripture regarding his bride, the church? Well, that was wonderful to look at that. Now we're going to kind of expand upon that and say, okay, what is God's design for spiritual growth, particularly as it relates to the church, and how does that intersect with my life? When I think about my heart and my home, and, and then for this morning, my ministry, how should I think about God's design, not only for the church and what the church is to be about and what the church is, but me personally and my engagement in the church? And I recognize something this morning that uh, in, in one sense, this is a lesson preaching to the choir. Um, you all are engaged in body life, but this is an incredible discipline to develop and, and, and nurture and grow because, listen, there's going to be times in life where each one of us is going to be tempted with what we think and what we believe about God's church. And so to reinforce and fortify our positions and our belief and our convictions, even in a time of uh, obedience is only going to be helpful because there inevitably will be temptation where our thinking will be challenged on the church. And so let's work through our outline this morning. We're going to talk starting with God's design for growth. Everybody should have received a pack. Did everybody get their packet with the outline for this morning? Excellent. We're going to talk about God's design for growth. And we keep coming back to this, this passage in Ephesians 4 because it, it really is crucial in expressing the importance that as part of the body of Christ, as members of one another, we all are obligated to participate in ministry. The church is not about ministers ministering to the body only, that you have pastors who preach and teach, and you come and get and fill up your gas tank so that you can go navigate the week and feel good about things. That's not God's intention for the church. And yet, oftentimes in uh, modern evangelicalism, that's what happens, is that the church is viewed as a consumeristic activity that I come to and I participate in. And Hey, Jeff, good morning. Come on in. Oh, there's a packet on the table for you. 
uh, that I come to and, and, I, and I listen and I participate in and I get recharged and, and then I go home and, hey, great, I went to church and, and that's what we do. And that's not God's intention for the church. That's not how God has designed things for his bride. And so what is God's design for the church? What is God's design for how we grow and how we're built up? Well, Ephesians 4 verse 11 tells us, and if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. <laughs> Excuse me. Ephesians 4 verse 11 says, and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists. And then you get these, these next two and some as pastors and teachers, and the purpose of those pastors and teachers is verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And there's a, a really good summary of what Paul expresses in Colossians 1 as to why he labors to see every believer mature in Christ, to see every man complete in Christ. That's what he's going after, and that's really what the church should desire. But here in Ephesians 4, Paul expands a little bit more on how this takes place. Pastors and teachers equip the saints for ministry. And then verse 14, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, and there we see the, the subject of this clause that's coming, the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part. And then you've got the main verb causes the growth. So the body causes the growth and how that happens is the body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the purpose of building itself up in love. So the way that the church is to grow is not exclusively through a strong Bible preaching preacher. It's not by a multitude of intentional ministry programs. God's intention for the body to grow is when the body is connected to one another in love, properly functioning, that's how God causes the growth of the body. When we all together are fitted as we are to be, appropriately exercising what God has given us, that's how God brings us into maturity as a body. And certainly there needs to be strong biblical preaching and teaching and good intentional programs within the church to equip the saints for this work is necessary, but it can't stop there. It has to extend into the men and women of the church being the church one with another, being connected to one another. And so if our thought about the church is confined to a Saturday evening event, as modern and outside of the box thinking that it is, I mean, we used to just think it was a Sunday morning event, but now we've branched out. We're okay with it being a Saturday night event. If we think that's the exclusive exclusiveness of the church, we're missing what God calls us to. We're actually to be connected and joined with one another as the church, serving one another for the growth of the church. So if we understand this appropriately, that God's intention for growth within the church is through the church being connected and, and functioning as God intends, 
that's going to be unbelievably foundational and helpful for us in recognizing how to actually grow in accordance with God's desire. There's just not a category of God being okay with disengaged Christians in the body. And there's seasons where your capacities will ebb and flow, and we're going to talk about that, and where it may be appropriate or not as appropriate for you to serve or conduct yourself. But there isn't an appropriate nature where you listen to a sermon from a distance and are not engaged with the body. That God doesn't have a category for that. There's not Lone Ranger Christians. There's not independent living in the body of Christ. That's not his intention. We are a body. We are joined with one another. We'll talk a little bit more in regards to that as we keep going. God has specifically designed in his wisdom, he's designed the church to be the conduit for Christian growth. And it occurs by Christians serving one another and being connected in love. And so in light of this, we need to think through life's decisions. What job to take? Where is that job located? What are the commitments that I'm making in life? Am I squeezing the church into the margins of my life just to kind of fit as it's convenient with where life's comfort levels lie? Have I made hard lines I'm unwilling to compromise when it comes to body life? Which one? Am I squeezing church into the margins? Or have I said, listen, I will not compromise on these things because they are so necessary for my spiritual well-being and for my stewardship of what God has given me to be an active participant in the body of Christ. So how you think through time, money, possessions, proximity, even things like what house am I going to buy and where is it? I can't tell you how many times, probably at least a dozen, if not two dozen, somewhere in that range times, I've had conversations with people who they wanted a bigger, nicer house, and so they moved farther away, and said, it'll be okay, the house, we want this house, we'll make the drive, everything's going to work out. And there have been times where people do that, and they make the drive, and they're engaged, and they're exemplary in their participation. And there's been about a dozen to do, two dozen times where that's happened, and people have said, it's just harder than I thought, we can't be involved the way that we want to be. We have this big house, and we can't have anybody in it. Because it's just not a blessing to drive 45 minutes to come hang out with us. To spend two hours driving and two hours fellowshipping is, is just a practical hardship. It, it's a difficulty through proximity. And so thinking through those things, or you take a job because this is going to be so good for my family. This position, it's going to free me up to do these things and we're going to make more money and have more flexibility. And so you take a job and you've never thought or considered proactively what churches are in the area is there a faithful church that i can engage and take my body to, take my family to and, and participate in there's been several times where i've interacted with people where they've they've taken jobs they've taken positions they were convinced that the lord opened the door this was going to be so good for them and they and even with counsel to investigate churches had a i'll figure it out when i get there mentality and it was a real real hardship and so thinking through God's design for spiritual growth for the believer and how he desires to see that transpire, it has to center around active body life, active life in a faithful church. 
And part of this comes from just the principle that believers do bear fruit. We are called to grow. We're called to live out our salvation. If you turn to John 15... I want to just point out a couple, couple sections or a couple verses in this section of John 15, 1 through 11, where Jesus expresses the reality that Christians, Christians grow. They bear fruit. There's evidence of the salvation that God has bestowed upon them through spiritual fruit that, that grows. In John 15, verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. That's God's desire for a true believer, that there would be bearing more and more fruit. Verse 4, abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. And there you again, you see the closeness to Jesus that produces a bearing of fruit. If you jump down to verse 8, my father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. You demonstrate, you express the reality that you are in Christ as their spiritual fruit that has grown and, and, and born in your life. And so this principle that Christians bear fruit is essential. It should be one on each it should be a priority on each one of our hearts that we would grow, that we would bear fruit, that the evidence of our salvation would be expressed through spiritual maturing and, maturing and spiritual benefits. So as we talk about the church and God's desire for the church to be that we would be connected with one another, that there would be spiritual growth, that we would bear fruit, we, we need to start at the heart level. What should drive the desire even within God's design, if simply all we knew was that it was God's design for it to be this way, that should be enough. But as we think about obedience to engagement in the body of Christ, to serving in the body of Christ, what should drive that? What at the heart level should be resonating in my inner being, in my inner man that motivates me to serve the Lord? Well, First Peter 4 is really interesting. When you think about all the things that should help guide our thinking and our hearts and our urgency to be engaged in body life, Peter draws attention, attention to an interesting reality. And in 1 Peter 4, verse 7, he says this, the end of all things is near. And that's the, that's the main idea for which the rest of his flow of thought comes from. The end of all things is near. And that end is not a finality statement as in, annihilation, but the culmination of what God has been moving towards is quickly approaching the end. The purpose for which God brought about salvation to believers is coming, is coming to a head. And essentially what he's getting at is Jesus' return is imminent. Jesus is coming soon. The end of a struggle in a fallen world within a, a fallen body that we have to navigate in this life, uh, <clears throat> a world that's impacted by the fall and its effects. Listen, the Messiah is coming. Jesus is returning. The end, God's purpose that he's moving all things toward to have Christ come and rule and reign and set right what we did so wrong. 
That end is near. That purpose is coming. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. In verse 10, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And he goes on to talk about those who serve, serve in the strength that God provides, those that speak, speak God's words. Don't look to the wisdom of man, look to God's wisdom. And so a motivation for serving in the church is a recognition that Christ is coming at any point. The end is near. It's imminent. So get at it. Get after it. I don't know if as a child you were ever left home alone and maybe your parents told you to clean something up in the house or to do a chore and you procrastinated and then you looked at the clock and you went, okay, she told me she'd be back in two hours and it's two hours and 15 minutes and I haven't started. And there's, there's an urgency. She could be home at any time. I got to get this done. Listen, Christ could return at any point in time. Get after it. That should only pursue, uh, that should only cultivate rather an uh, active pursuit of obedience and urgency in our service. Also Mark 12, 30 and 31. Here we see the great commandment that Jesus gives to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. A a love for God, a desire to please him, to obey him. If you love him, you will keep his commandments. And God has told us to actively be connected in the body of Christ and to serve one another. To pursue that faithfully, to engage in body life, to be connected with one another, to serve sacrificially, to consider others' needs above our own. And so simply a love for God should drive us to obedience. A love for God. And listen, if you are incredibly active in the church for a reason outside of love for God, you're most likely either a legalist or a hypocrite or both. Because it's not pure motives if it's not coming from a heart of love for God. Also a love for one another. And in fact, we can love one another because we've received love from God. And so there's a a care for, an esteeming of, a desire to benefit, a desire to bless, a desire to consider others' needs above our own that should drive our service within the church. Uh, a recognition of Christ's imminent return, a, a love for God, a desire to obey him and to keep his commandments, and a sacrificial, self-giving, Christ-imitating love for one another. There should also be a desire for Christ to be known by the unbelieving. And we talked about this in our uh, one another sessions about how our love for one another is really the, the greatest visible testimony to an onlooking world that we are Christ's disciples that we are followers of Jesus Christ. And so, listen, we should desire for the world to see the reality that we love Jesus through our love for one another. And then turn to 2 Corinthians 5. Sometimes people are afraid to, to talk about this one, but the reality is there are spiritual rewards for the believer that await them in heaven. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10 says, for we, all, for we must all, and the we there is believers. So this is talking, it's referred to the, 
as the bima seat, which is the Greek word that we're going to see here in our text. But the bima seat judgment, when it says the judgment seat, it's bima in the Greek. So this passage is referred to as the bima seat judgment, which is a judgment only for believers. And there's a judgment that's reserved only for unbelievers that we see in Revelation, which is the great white throne judgment. That is a judgment where all unbelievers are brought before Jesus. This is a judgment for believers, and it's where believers are brought before Christ. And in verse 10, Paul says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And this is not a judgment unto condemnation, but this is a judgment unto faithfulness, being a faithful steward. What God has entrusted into your care, were you a good steward of this? And so this judgment is coming where we'll give an account for how we stewarded that which Christ entrusted into our care in this life. And it should be an, a desire, a longing for every believer to want as many crowns as possible for the purpose of casting them back at the feet of Christ in eternity. This isn't a selfish desire because it's not a reward for selfish gain. It's a reward of Christ, of what awaits us in heaven. Scripture isn't specific as to a comprehensive description of what all of those rewards may be in heaven, although Daniel gives us a an indication that those who share the gospel, those who bring or share the good news, those who serve sacrificially for the benefit of salvation of some uh, will shine, uh, especially bright is the kind of language that he gives in, in Daniel chapter 12. And so there are rewards to come, and it is not, it is not a wrong metaf uh, motivation to say, Lord, you bless uniquely those who are faithful. I want to be found faithful for the life that awaits me in heaven with you. Those are some motivators. I'm sure we could come up with others, but those are foundational and ones we can't compromise. We just need to keep those in front of us. And that, that Christ is returning, that, that we have a love for God, a sincere love for God, a love for others, a desire for Christ to be known by the unbelieving uh, world and that we're faithful unto spiritual rewards. Now, what are some hindrances that may keep us from being useful in the body of Christ? What are some things that if we entertain are going to prohibit or obstruct or obscure our usefulness in the body of Christ? Well, let's start at 2 Timothy, and I want you to see this one. Second Timothy two. Okay, I'm in First Timothy. I'm like, there's no verses nineteen and twenty-two. Like, uh oh, my reference is wrong. There we go. Second Timothy two, uh, verse nineteen. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal: the Lord knows those who are His, and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. Now, in a large house, there is not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, and some of honor and some of dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, and look at this, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Your putting off wickedness enhances 
your usefulness and your preparedness for every good work. Wickedness, unhindered entertainment of our own sinfulness obscures and obstructs our usefulness for Christ. And just think of how this looks practically. For a man who has no real zeal to grow spiritually, if there's a need for more deacons in the church, and there's a task that you could practically do, but you've been negligent in your discipline on restraining your anger, you're an angry man. Your usefulness in the body will be hindered because of your neglect of spiritual growth as it, as it pertains to anger, because you're not deconqualified. That's a, that's a basic example. But the reality is, is that for each one of us, we obscure our usefulness, we obstruct, we, we minimize our usefulness to the body of Christ where we are, are negligent in our repentance, where we are where we're content to entertain wickedness, where we allow evil in our lives and sin that we don't repent of and that we practice. You can think that what you do in the privacy of your home on your laptop doesn't affect anybody but yourself and you're okay with those consequences. You are naive, mistaken, deceived. If you think that, Sin matters. God said it. Wickedness hinders your usefulness and your readiness for every good deed. I can't remember the context. I was having a conversation with somebody just about the importance of an elder not being addicted to wine and the importance of being sober of mind and, and not being drunk. And even, say, it's 10 o'clock in the evening and you decide to drink and you drink too much and you're buzzed. Uh, what if you get a call from somebody who's saying, my marriage is falling apart, can you come over? I've done something horrible, I need help. I'm, I'm contemplating taking my own life. Could you imagine going, ah, I gotta get an Uber. Or putting somebody else's life at risk to go drive. I mean, just the, the hindrances of sin and we can blind ourselves and think that they're inconsequential. And yet, unchecked, unrepented of, entertainment of wickedness is absolutely a hindrance on a multitude of levels to our usefulness in the body of Christ. What else? Well, laziness. And this is probably a good one for my generation especially, and those after me. Proverbs 18, 9 I love Proverbs because it's just so succinct and so cutting and clear. He also who is slack in his work is brother to him who destroys. There's just, there's just no good that comes from laziness. You're not going to be able to build up if you're slack in your work. Laziness should not be entertained. Ephesians 5.16 talks about getting to work. The days are evil. The time is short. Be faithful. Don't be lazy. Don't, don't squander the time that the Lord has given us. Don't entertain laziness in your life. 
oh man, there's, there's a need, but I've just been doing a lot. Really would love to stay at home and, you know, watch the game. Somebody else will do it. I mean, how, how many times? So-and-so needs help moving. Oh, it's been a busy week. I don't want to go work. So, somebody will set up communion. Somebody will take care of music. Somebody will fill in the blank. Don't let that be a, a motivator in your heart. Don't let that be an entertained thought of one of just laziness, contentment to indulge your own desires and pleasures and not give of yourself actively, to not be a, a laborer, to not work hard. And coupled with these things, these overlap, these aren't independent necessarily. If you find one, you probably find the other, but selfishness is another hindrance to usefulness in the body. Unchecked sin, a contentment for laziness, which is most likely rooted in selfishness. Philippians 2, we're to consider others' needs above our own. When, when a need arises in the church, our minds shouldn't go first to ourselves and all of our desires and all of our wants. But how can we serve? How can we be a blessing? And listen, if you can put to death selfishness, you're going to have a unique a unique usefulness in the body of Christ, a unique readiness. If you are pursuing continued growth in Christ, putting to death the deeds of the flesh, practicing the fruit of the spirit, if you are intentional and active and available to serve, and if you're putting to death selfishness, you will remove unnecessary hindrances to usefulness in the body of Christ. Well, conversely, what are some positive ways to say it? We've talked about some negatives to put off, particularly sinful patterns of living. What are aids to maximizing your usefulness in the body? And you should be on page three of the outline. Is everybody still with me on the outline? Excellent. Well, the same passage we looked at earlier from 2 Timothy, actively pursuing spiritual growth. Don't entertain wickedness. That's going to be a hindrance. And actively pursue sanctification, progressive sanctification, spiritual growth. We've talked about this. Not everybody is called to be an elder in the church. And that's, that's perfectly acceptable. That's God's design. Not everybody should be an elder in the church. But at a personal conviction level, not one of us should be content to have it be for a lack of godliness. Because what an elder is called to character-wise is not a separate category of Christian. Each qualification in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus 1, each qualification minus may be able to teach. And even then, you should be ready to give an account for the hope that you have. And we are called to teach one another through songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. But there, there certainly is a competency level for elders in their handling of God's word uh, that's necessary. But every personal character qualification is elsewhere affirmed in scripture for Christians. We're all to not be addicted to wine. We're all to be above reproach. We're all to not entertain anger. We're all to be prudent and sensible and temperate and so on. So actively pursue growth, actively pursue sanctification. Don't take your foot off the gas pedal in regards to your desire for spiritual growth ever. 
ever. Rejoice in God's sovereignty over the gifting of the body. This is really helpful just in thinking soberly and sensibly about God's design for the local church. God determined for there to be diversity in the body. Rejoice in that. Uh, don't be discontent with whatever your gifting is. Or maybe you don't feel like you know what your gifting is. And you're going, oh, I don't even know what my gifting is. And there's just a, a grumbling or, or complaining attitude. Don't, don't be that way. Rejoice in God's sovereignty over gifting in the body. This isn't a competition in the body of Christ. Sometimes it can feel that way. Why did so-and-so get asked to do something? Oh, they got a deacon app? Really? I've been serving. I've never gotten a deacon application. They're an elder intern. Oh, they were asked to do this. We should rejoice in how God is using one another. The body is being built up by the body. And so one's advancement spiritually should be something that we should rejoice in. And God did this intentionally. He, he created his church to have diversity. We're various members joined together. We need this. We need this diversity in the body of Christ. It would be horrible if everybody in the church was clones of me or clones of Tom or clones of Tyler or clones of Sam or clones of any of you. God designed it so there's a multitude of gifts that were to exercise for the building up of the body. God determined this diversity within the body of Christ. And God gives these gifts as he pleases. Go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians 12. First Corinthians chapter 12, verses four, 4 through 7. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of minister, ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. This is God's design. A variety of gifts coming from one Spirit. A variety of ways that we minister under one Lord. And God has given these gifts for the benefit of the body. For the common good of the church. He gives as he pleases. Jump down to verse 11. But one in the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. To be discontent about your gifting or your talents or your position in the body is to be discontent with the Lord. This was a, a sobering reality for me years ago uh, when I started leading music at Grace Bible Church uh, over 20 years ago. I was thrilled to be able to serve, um, but and, and I joke that the way that I got into serving in the music ministry was there was, and it's not a joke because it's, it's the truth, but there was literally nobody else. That's, that's the only way. And it's harder to pull somebody out than to put somebody in. So they were stuck with me. <laughs> but, but I was asked to serve in the music ministry. And, and I struggled, really struggled in my heart with discontentment with my own talents. Um, and, and that was pride. It, it's what served the best to have me with all of my limitations lead the body 
in music. That's what the elders determined. That's what, that's what they wanted. And so for me to entertain discontentment was, was a discontentment not with just what I think is the quality of my voice and my skills and talent, but that's a discontentment with the Lord. Lord, the, my elders are asking me to serve and saying this would benefit the body, and I'm grumbling in my heart saying, you didn't do it right. We can't entertain that. We need to rejoice in God's sovereignty over gifting the body, over positioning people within the body. We need to be eager to serve. Recognize the interdependence within the body. The body is not one member, but many. And we just looked at that in 1 Corinthians 12. If you jump down to verse 14, it says it specifically. For the body is not one member, but many. That's God's design. The church isn't to hinge on one person, one person's giftedness, one person's talents, one person's personality, one's person, one person's charismatic level of engagement. We're many members. This church cannot hinge on me or Tom or Tyler or one of the deacons or any one of you. We, we all need to be what God calls us to be. We all must be faithful within the body of Christ, and we are interdependent upon one another. The members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are actually necessary, beneficial, and listen to this, they're to be honored. These weaker vessels or less desirable vessels of service are to be honored. And typically when we think about areas of service, those who are more visible right, seem more prominent or more important. And those who serve behind the scenes are sometimes viewed as invisible servants or, or secondary servants or non-essential servants. And this is just ridiculous in, in thinking. We all are interdependent and all are important in the body of Christ. And so we don't look at our gifting as any individual uh, being exclusive to the body of Christ in importance, no single individual is God's unique, comprehensive gift to the body, making others unneeded. And we shouldn't entertain desires for other gifting or other functioning than what we have. We also shouldn't imagine that you're not useful to the body. Have you ever had that thought? It, it really doesn't matter if I'm there or not. I'm not, I'm not so-and-so. I, you know, I'm not a such-and-such person. They, they're incredibly useful. I, it's not that important. Nobody will notice. Listen, we feel it. We feel it. The body. Every person is important to the body of Christ. Everyone's usefulness is, is expressed, and there's fruit bearing to service in the body regardless. And so we need to be intentional in our service of one another. We have different functions, but no part of the body can say, I have no need for you or they have no need for me. There's an interdependence here. So we recognize everyone's usefulness. We're peers in the body no matter what God has given us to do. We are sheep. Elders are sheep as well. It's, it's not a different category of, of care. Tom shepherds me. I'm a sheep. I need to be shepherded. Tyler shepherds me, and conversely, we shepherd one another. Well, moving on, how do I know where to serve? As I ponder these things, how do I know where to serve? What are some practical helps 
for determining where to serve in the body. There are various categories. There are formal ways to serve in the body with specific ministries, and that's good. And there should be an in intentional contemplation as to uh, participating where there's needs in the body in formal service. But our service within the body is certainly not confined, should not be confined to those areas of service. Our service one to another is just to flow out of our being within the body of Christ. Our engagement is one of service for the benefit of the body. And so there are specific ways to serve and you can look for needs within the body of Christ. But there also should be a continual disposition of eagerness to want to serve others and be a blessing as needs arrive. So how do I know where to serve? Well, listen, look for needs to be to meet in the body of Christ. Where are their needs? There are always a variety of needs in the body. And so ask. The needs are as varied as the people. They vary as much as life and circumstances. They may arise when there's trouble or trials in individuals' lives. They can come from joys and sorrows, opportunities to rejoice and serve somebody in their successes and opportunities to come alongside people in their sorrows and care for them. And the reality is God is doing something in each person's life in the body of Christ. And so simply coming alongside one another and helping people in the areas that they're working on, that they're seeking to grow, that they're seeking to cultivate in their own godliness and disposition should be on the forefront of our mind. This is where things like fellowship group are so important within how we at Gilbert Bible Church have chosen to intentionally go after one another commands in scripture, right? It's not a biblical mandate to have small groups or fellowship groups within the church. It's not as if a church that doesn't have formal fellowship group ministries is automatically unfaithful or anything like that. But at Gilbert Bible Church, how we've sought to go after intentional, regular involvement in one another's lives is through the vehicle of fellowship groups. And so we have opportunity to hear how God is growing individuals and what they're learning in God's word. And we have opportunity to confess sin and talk through what the path of repentance is looking like and how we can come alongside and aid one another in that. As we talk about obedience to building Christ's work on earth and, and participating in what he's doing in the church and evangelism and and spreading the gospel and making disciples, we can pray for and encourage one another in those things. As we talk about answers to prayer and how God is working in our lives, we can care and encourage one another in those things, as well as just working through those things and what it reveals about life and trials and circumstances and hardships and victories and parenting and marriages and all the rest. We have a unique opportunity to come alongside one another and serve one another. And so <clears throat> how, how do you know where to serve in the church? Recognize that there's always a variety of needs and simply being in close proximity is going to help you be aware of how you can come alongside and how you can care for one another. And coupled with that is the reality of just being intentional in body life. You'll know the needs within the body much better when you are connected to the body. You'll, you'll hear firsthand when people are experiencing financial hardship and need help or when people are going through a change or transition and need help moving or people are struggling in their job and need encouragement or people are struggling in their marriage and need counsel or people are faltering in their parenting and need direction. When you walk into a fellowship, 
Be intentional. Meet people. Talk to them. Intentionally learn their needs and seek to meet them. Don't wait. Don't punt by waiting around for others to do what you long for. And I know there's uh, introverts and extroverts in categories, but God calls us to love one another sacrificially. And so if you're feeling nobody, nobody reaches out to me, nobody invites me over, reach out to others. Listen, we are not, we are not perfect as a church. We just aren't. There's areas where we need to grow. Be an advocate for the growth that we need still to take place. Don't wait around for the rest of the church to get their act together so that they can accommodate your desires and needs. Be a part of intentional care for one another to grow in those ways, to serve the body in those ways. God may use you with a thousand people in the same way, or he may use you with one person in a thousand different ways. Just be faithful, be available, be accessible, be engaged in the body of Christ. And recognize, as I said before, that these needs are not just present on Saturday. We need a lot of hands to make Saturday happen the way that we do with as many children as we have, being in the facility that we're in, music, sound, greeters, communion, front lines, children's ministry, setup, teardown. There are a lot of areas to serve, which is wonderful. Our service to one another can't start and stop on Saturdays. We must be the body. What we do on Saturdays corporately must saturate and flow into our faithfulness in being the church throughout all of life. And so how do I know where to serve? Just be available. Pursue those aids to usefulness. Grow in godliness. Ask, where are their needs? Ponder those things. Uh, be driven out of filling needs and serving others, not this is where I get the most fulfillment. I've had that conversation several times as a music leader because there's people, they love music. They love to sing. They love how they feel when they serve that way. That's not wrong. But if you're saying, this is how God has gifted me and this is how I must be used in the body independently, you're going to put constraints and really minimize how God may want to use you in the body. You might actually be right. That might be the best place for you to serve the body. But not with that disposition of, I need to serve here because this is where I get the most. That shouldn't drive us. Where can I be a blessing? Where are their needs? that you think it would be appropriate for me to serve. That's how we should navigate those types of decisions. Remember the biblical motivations. I'm not serving to fulfill my internal desires to serve myself, to receive, but I'm serving to give of myself for the benefit of others. I can trust God in the reality that Jesus said it is better to give than to receive. And that's how I should navigate those circumstances. Now, a couple of considerations as we wrap up this morning, thinking through my heart, my family, and the church, how does discipline one and discipline two re relate to discipline three? Certainly, someone should not step into leadership roles within the church when they're neglecting leadership roles in their home. Do you understand that? That's what we talk about leapfrogging. I'm going to go talk to my kids and my wife about the importance of fleeing sin and pursuing Christ 
but I'm unwilling to do that perfectly, and I'm going to yell at them as I do it. Okay, that would be leapfrogging your own heart in your care for your home. You're neglecting spiritual care for yourself, and you're hypocritically stepping into your home and demanding that of your family that you have been personally negligent of. We need to start at the heart level. Then we will have something to say to our family with integrity in our shepherding of them. And so we need to be faithful to care for our hearts, to be faithful in our home. And our faithfulness in our shepherding to our home is to engage in body life. And so this is sometimes these disciplines of the home and the ministry can be confused a little bit. Sometimes we think, I'm not going to engage in the church body life to the degree that I should because I need to make sure my home is in order. Okay? The problem with that is that leading your family is to lead them to love the church. Leading your family is to lead them to give sacrificially for the benefit of others. Leading your family is to lead them to think right about the importance of being connected and plugged into the church. So if you're going, I have used up all the margins in my life with softball and uh, getting together with friends and kids sports and the only night we have this week together as a family is Tuesday night. And I've just, I've, I've just put everything packed into our family and we really need a family night. So we're going to stay home and watch a movie. What are you actually leading your family towards? Not towards the Lord in that moment, not towards sacrificial service, not towards denying yourself. And in fact, you may have overcommitted in a way that you've, you've just put an unnecessary hardship on your life. Maybe you do need to stay home and spend time as a family. That's, that absolutely is the case at times. And there's a permissibility. It's not like if you aren't at every event, you're sinning. But to think, I need to make sure I'm doing discipline too before we go to church on Saturday or before we participate in this ministry you're missing discipline two and three. Your care for your home is to show your children through practice, to instruct your family towards engagement in the body of Christ. That is different than saying, I'm going to take a visible leadership position in the body and hypocritically step into spiritual care for others when I'm neglecting spiritual care for my family. And so engaging in spiritual activities that are appropriate for every believer is not competing with your care for your home. It actually is an expression of discipleship and spiritual care for your family. And so if your wife, here, here's where the rubber may meet the road and where discernment and wisdom is necessary. If your wife's had a really hard day with the kids and she's going, I, I just want to stay home and veg. You might need to help her think through, what would God say? I tell you what, you go to fellowship group. I'll take care of the kids tonight. I'll make sure everything's cleaned up at home. I'll clean the kitchen. Is there laundry that needs to be done? I'll take care of that. I'll put the kids down. You go to fellowship group. It's going to be so refreshing for you to be able to share with those women what you're struggling with, to be prayed for, to encourage them, to think outside of yourself. In fact, usually those moments are 
someone can be caught up thinking so much about themselves, they need to go participate in an activity where they're forced to think about others. And so just having that mindset where uh, relieving difficulty is not serving your home, pointing towards obedience and Christ-likeness and sacrificial service and love is leading your home. Sometimes that's in the decision to just all stay home. And you go, we got to recalibrate. We've overcommitted. If we can't even go to fellowship group because we're so burdened, we've prioritized some other things that probably need to be reevaluated. And you, and you stay home and you work towards that in the future. Sometimes it might be going. But recognizing the relationship of discipline two and, and three, they're not meant to compete or put against one another church involvement in the home. The principle of don't leapfrog over your home for the church is don't go serve all these different ways. Every time something needs to be done at the church, you're the first to do it. And your wife's going, we've had a leaky faucet for three months. That will not be a blessing to your home. Okay, so we're not talking about normal active body life. We're talking about don't be a hypocrite. Be faithful in your home and let that faithfulness extend into engagement in body, in body life. How much should I do? These are some of those discernment issues that we can talk through a little bit more. You guys can talk through in your groups, but thinking through how much should you commit to then? Because listen, there are always needs in the body and you literally could drown and actually neglect your family dramatically if you simply just volunteered for everything that ever needs to be done. And so how do you think through What's appropriate? Well, if you're married, you do it together. You involve your wife. Your Christ-like sacrificial care and service from your wife will solicit her input. How am I doing at faithfulness in the home? Are there things that you've seen me be negligent before I formally commit to this ministry need? Are there areas that I'm lacking in my diligence at home? And how can I shore those up so that it wouldn't be a discouragement to you for me to step into this area? Think about ways where you can serve with your family, with your spouse if possible. Sometimes that's easier. Sometimes in certain seasons, uh, the way a family can serve is by one spouse serving and one spouse helping care for the kids to free them up. We had this happen uh, in numerous uh, contexts on the music team where families with young children, uh, for example, Sam serves has served for over a decade on the music team and Ashley so sacrificially, so lovingly has freed him up to lead, to be the first at the church on Sunday mornings or on Saturday afternoons to, to serve and to step into the music ministry. Jim and Sarah do that now where Jim frees up Sarah many times to serve and sing uh, through his care for Jesse. And, and that just happens all the time where uh, one of the spouses will help free up the other spouse to serve. And that's, that's pleasing to the Lord. That's, that's beautiful and wonderful and sweet. So working through together to make those decisions and just discerning what's appropriate in the season of life that you're in, what's wise, um, what can you be faithful in, and that's a big, that's a big kicker. Um, don't extend yourself so far to where you're just frantic and unfaithful. So think through those things. We can talk through those things more. And then I already talked through the relationship of discipline two and discipline three. Before we split into our groups, I'd love to hear any, any questions, comments, thoughts.
Well said, Alex. Yeah, those those things, the, the nature of your service in the church, your care for your home, they, they, sh they actually complement one another if you're doing it well. So especially if you're bringing your family into your service where you can and where it's appropriate, um, to see children in the home need to see dads who love the church, who love being under the authority of Christ through the elders in the local assembly. They need to see dads who are faithful and, and concerned with making sure they're giving of themselves for the benefit of the body, who are willing to wake up early and come to groups, who are willing to stay up late, even when they've got to be up early, to go to groups. And so, yeah, a, a disposition of, I've got to clean up everything in my life to be worthy of service, that's not what we're talking about. Be faithful in your home but also be faithful to point your home towards the value of Christ. And this is where being a man who is shepherding your heart is, is just so critical. It's just so essential. Because if your service to the body is rooted out of fear of man, love of praise, aspiration for position, your kids will see that. Your wife will see that. And you will, you will cultivate a distaste for Christ and for the church. You will bring reproach on Christ. And yet if they see you pursuing imperfectly humble service in the home, eagerness to step in and help out, uh, uh, I don't know, maybe I'm the only one who've, who's ever experienced this. Could somebody take the trash can out to the street? You do it. No, you do it. No, you do it. No, you do it. Both of you do it. <laughs> or, you know what, guys? I'll do it. I'll go take it out. I'm happy to do that. Oh, no, dad, we'll do it. Fine. I just, did, I just didn't want to do it. I wanted him to do it. I didn't want you to do it. You know, I, we've had those kinds of dialogues in the home where it's just like, okay, can we just pause? Everybody's just thinking about themselves right now. Let's serve. Be, be quick to jump in and serve, to care for one another. Even, even uh, I have to remind myself frequently after dinner, all right, time to clean up. I should go help. <laughs> why, why would I not? I want to exemplify service. What's the, what's the task least enjoyed in our home? I'm not above that. It's not, we don't put the youngest on that task. I'm not above that. Just cultivate those kinds of attitudes, those kinds of dispositions in your home. Anything else? Yes, Jim. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's actually something that I've, I've really been blessed by in Gilbert Bible Church as we've been launched in our smaller is just when we're here on a Saturday, we know who's here <laughs> and we're engaged and we're close. And that's just a, a sweet uh, byproduct of the season that the Lord has us in is, is that we feel that intimacy and that reality that we are connected it's true, regardless of the size of the church, that you are the body, you're connected, there's a unique intimacy and fellowship. Um, we're able to experience that a little bit more um, with, a, with a greater awareness of that reality in light of the fact that we're smaller. And, it, and it, it's, it's true. I mean, this is, uh, the, uh, quite frankly, the, the church, I have a greater degree of uh, practical intimacy and fellowship than extended family by far you spend more more time with the church and more closer proximity that's uh, a blessing and a gift so it's excellent all right let me close in prayer we'll split into groups heavenly father thank you for your wisdom uh, it is unsearchable it is truly wonderful and thinking through what your wisdom is that you you choose the best possible means to accomplish the best possible ends in every circumstance. And your design of your church is, is definitely uh, no exception to that. And so, Lord, I pray that we would trust, in, trust you and entrust ourselves to your wisdom uh, and that we would be obedient beyond what we would ever be able to be obedient and left to our own devices, but that your spirit would give us divine enablement to faithfulness to these things for your glory and for our spiritual good. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.